Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ahoy, Mets fans. For the first time in two months, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. Chris, can you believe it's been two months since we did this? No. Nothing about time makes sense anymore. Yeah. Uh, especially because like, I, I feel like uh, both from Complex to Queens and A Pot of Their Own have done such a great job covering everything. I feel like we haven't had a whole lot to talk about because they've done an excellent job talking about stuff. But now we have actual stuff to talk about and stuff that I think both of us are going to have pretty strong opinions on. So I'm excited to dive right back into this. It looks like, from where we're sitting right now, it looks like as of July 1st, players will report for, are we calling it summer training, spring training? I don't know what we're calling it. but Well, the uh, best... The best thing about spring training is that it never happens in spring. <laughs> well, okay, a few days of it do, but, you know, right, the ball. Right, right, right. So I, I spring guess... Tra- spring training never begins in spring. Right. So I guess we can call it spring training just as accurately as they can, because this year it ended before spring. Yeah. Okay, so spring training <laughs> 2, whatever we're calling it, uh, is beginning July 1st, with July 29th as the targeted return date for baseball. A 60-game season in 66 days, or 68 days, I forget exactly the number. Um, all all teams using their home ballparks, um, possibly an expanded playoff roster. We don't really know what the playoff situation, we don't really know the playoff situation just yet. Um, we'll get into sort of some, some details of the games in a few minutes, but how do you feel just like... First, as a baseball fan, let's start there. Before we bring into anything else, how do you feel as a Mets fan that a little bit more than a month from now, we can be watching games that matter from the Mets? Yeah, yeah, no. um, Look, I'm going to watch the games if they happen, and we'll delve more into that. But, uh, you know, the the concept of watching a baseball game, uh, you know, which – the the most recent experience of that was when we were both in Florida um, in late February for spring training. <clears throat> and that concept seems so foreign. Uh, and e- even with all of the bizarre things that'll be, you know, 
necessary, uh, I will I will watch, of course. And that baseball fan part of me is is you know ready to see Jacob Degrom pitch again, ready to see Peter Alonso hit a ball five hundred feet. You know, um, but yeah, it, it, so strictly in a baseball sense, it. it I'm I'm looking forward to having that happening uh, if it happens. I'm I'm trying. (laughs) It's tough to answer it that way because that's not, you know, that's not how most of my brain is working with all this. Right. I feel I feel similarly. You know, um, it's funny. I this is this will be the first season since the 2000 baseball season that I have not gone to a game. Um, and the only reason I didn't go in 2000 was because I was graduating from college and graduating from high school and starting college. And so I just did not have a lot of time to be doing that sort of stuff. But, you know, going to baseball games is, is part of, is in my DNA. And obviously we can't do that this year. And watching baseball is extremely in my DNA you know, I probably watch part of at least a hundred games a year, if not more than that. Um, you know, yeah. so baseball games being on TV, I'm gonna sit and watch them. That's just that. That's what I'm gonna do, regardless of my Amazing Avenue responsibilities, right? Just like as a as a human being, when the Mets are on TV, I'm watching it. Um, and so from that vantage point, I'm very excited to have something to be doing at. 8.30 after the kids are in bed every night. That will be a very nice thing to have. Um, but as a... As a human being, as somebody who has feelings about how our country has handled the pandemic thus far, you know, I, I, have, I have a fair amount of misgivings about the season coming back. I have a fair amount of misgivings about the way the season is coming back. And I have a fair amount of misgivings about people's attitudes towards professional athletes as being essentially cannon fodder for a disease. Yeah. Uh, Me too. But before we get into that serious stuff, uh, can I make one suggestion? Absolutely. (laughs) When you say you didn't go to a game in 2000, you should tell people you were just livid that John Oliverud wasn't re-signed as a Met. <laughs> and that was your form of protest. I mean, to be fair, I was livid about that. Yeah. So <laughs> I, can, I, can definitely, I can definitely go with that. Yeah, that works. But yeah, on to the, the serious topics. I mean, uh, where do we start? It's just... I guess hypothetically you could say that operating sports in isolation from the rest of society could be possible in a safe way. But as we've already seen, we know it's not, you know, it's just teams have had outbreaks of the virus within their own facilities without even having official, you know, spring training going on. Um, with everybody being well aware of the potential 
harm this thing can do. And yeah, and it, and it hasn't just been baseball. You know, NHL teams, um, NFL teams. I, I, you know, there was one day, I forget if it was early this week or the end of last week, but there was one day where it was just like, oh, there's an outbreak with the Phillies and the Tampa Bay Lightning and like 49ers players. You know, I just remember seeing those things in quick succession. Um, you know, we we know that even though the vast majority of people recover and are fine, um, at least as far as we know in the short term, we know there's that potential that it can just absolutely wreak havoc on somebody's body, even if they're in great shape. I mean, not to bring the show all the way down, but somebody you and I interacted with at Port in Port St. Lucie died of coronavirus. Yeah. You know, uh, and died, was it, uh, I mean, it's Anthony Causey is his name. He was 48 years old, and he died on, it looks like, August 11th or August 12th. And we were with uh, him on February 29th. I mean, April, April. April. Sorry, April. Yeah. April, <laughs> uh, April 11th or 12th. And we were with him on February 29th. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, he was in, you know, he was in the, the media room, um, you know, out on the field, um, you know, just being not somebody who I knew well, I, like, Honestly, even this year, even having taken that trip down there um, and, and being out there with my camera a lot and, and all that, I can't say that he even knew who I was, you know, but I, I, I have to say, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Chris, but he, yeah. he was the when I got there, because if, if listeners recall, Chris and I were supposed to fly down at the same time, but then Chris got sick, and so I I went down by myself. And the first time I was in the clubhouse, I, in the clubhouse rather, the media room, I was just like a deer in headlights. And he must have seen that and was like, "Hey, I'm Anthony. What's your name?" And had me sit down next to him and just kind of explained to me how things were working. And so he didn't have to do that, you know. It was just just a just a nice thing that somebody did because he saw you know a dumb kid without knowing what to do, and you know th- that guy died, and that guy had a family, and that guy had no reason that he should have died other than he got unlucky and got this disease. And you figure the amount of people that will have to be present for these games to happen, if there's an outbreak, he won't be the only person in the Mets-Yankees world that might die from this. Right. And I don't know how I square that circle for myself. I don't know how I support an organization that cares so little about the lives of its employees that the idea of making money so outweighs the safety of the people who work for that organization. Yeah. I just I, I, it's very hard for me. Yeah, no, it, it's uh, it it is not easy to approach it that way. You know, I I, I remember um, I, being down there. You know, he he had been talking about being excited because his nephew had obtained 
I've never been to Vegas, but I know, you know, Vegas has uh, lots of things like this. But his nephew had obtained like UFC tickets and a comped hotel room and that kind of stuff. And, you know, even though that's not my scene, he's he's talking about that being, you know, being something he was looking forward to um, the following weekend. You know, just weird. Weird is not even the right word, but to just take that, you know, that that very just normal routine human moment. Uh, you know, I remember him talking about that. Like I didn't know him well, but and and you know, like I said, I don't know if he even remembered that we had crossed paths in St. Lucie um, several times over the years, but you know, just, just taking that from somebody who was fine, normal, fine, active, you know, person. Um, and then knowing how that played out for him a couple months later, you know, it's, uh, it sucks. And that's not even, you know, that's not even for me, a, a family member, a great, a great aunt, um, you know, a friend of a friend of ours who was 37, who never tested positive for COVID, but everything about her story sure as hell seems like that's what caused her death. Um, you know, and then just, especially living in the Bronx, um, people in the, uh, my, my work world who, again, you know, maybe not somebody who I was texting every night or, you know, super, super close with, but somebody who I knew, um, you know, and, and that uh, so much of that happened so quickly when we were in a spot where we didn't know. And, and now you look back and you're like, oh, that was naive of all of us. You know, you, you and I should have never gone to Florida. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it was. uh, uh I, I still don't know for sure whether or not I ever had the virus, but you know, I had been seeing an ENT doctor because my sinuses were just like, like what the hell's going on here? You know, never, never like super sick, never anywhere near, Oh, do I need to go to the hospital? But you know, February was like an on and off month of just like, up. Oh, my sinuses are are acting weird, you know. And I mean, that, the fact that you delayed your spring training trip two days, yes, tells you how serious you felt about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't think it was at the time. I didn't think, oh, could this be COVID? But you know, it, it was. Oh, okay, I'm you know going through this sinus thing, which at the time wasn't even uh, a COVID symptom that anybody knew about, you know, but like, like I, I am not feeling well, I'm not going to get on a plane, you know, given the context of everything now, if I didn't feel well, I wouldn't get on, I mean, I wouldn't get on a plane anyway, knowing, right. Knowing everything we know now, but you know, if you just took all the information we have now and, and then put it into mid February, I would say, Hey, you know what? I was sick. I, I didn't have any reason to believe it was COVID, but you know, there's no way I'm going to travel where our previous mindset from before all this, before there was a positive case in 
New York or Florida or, or anywhere would have been, you know, like, oh, I, you know, my sinuses felt like crap, but hey, you know, I, I'm down in Florida. I feel great now, you know? Right. So, yeah. And I mean, in hindsight, it's, it's, uh, realistic that thousands of people in both states had it and none of them knew. I mean, that could have been the last airplane you or I are on until 2022. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just, just create, it's, it's crazy to think about things like that, but I, I don't doubt that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, and what's crazy now is that, at that at the at the time i remember going back to january a co-worker um like the first time i heard about covid in a, in a real sense was coming home from mexico in january um and it was just like a news story that one person in washington state had it mm-hmm. you know on the day of flying home from mexico and it was like oh okay there's you know, it, it it seems distant. You know, there's an outbreak in China. One person in Washington has it. Okay. And I remember I had a, a coworker at that time who was um, starting to, like, really track that stuff. Uh, you know, l- look at that and be concerned and everything. And I know at that time it didn't seem like an imminent threat in my mind and probably not, you know, 95% of people, um, in the United States and in New York, but, you know, by early March went for me, the day it all changed was the day that it went like when the switch went on for, from my brain was the day it went from two people in New York to 11 in one day. And that was just, like, oh, okay, you know, it, it's here, it's real, and, it, and it's about to get bad. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the show or not, but my wife works at a nursing home, and she's a social worker there, and her she works in, the, in a town that was one of the earliest hotbeds in New Jersey for the virus, and, you know, she had... A lot of you know, she was able to work from home very briefly, but it became very apparent her office was not going to stand for that. And so she's been working in her office in the building where more than twenty people died of coronavirus. Um, and so you know, it, it certainly has been scary on a personal level. She's been healthy; she's been tested a bunch of times, never came back positive. You know, um, so we're very lucky in that way. But it's it's a very real thing, and I'm I'm really tired of of people treating it like it's not real. And I think that I am slightly guilty of treating it like it's not real, in so much as that I allowed myself to get excited when they announced baseball was back. And that's a purely selfish act on my part, where I'm just excited I get to watch baseball again. But that's not really the point of all of this. And but that that is that is the closest I've come to saying nothing's wrong. Is just right. allowing myself to get excited. 
you know, I am wearing a mask whenever I go outside, uh, you know, whenever I go, whenever I'm going indoors, I live in a, in a rural enough area that I can walk around my neighborhood without a mask on and stay more than six feet away from everybody. So I'm not, I'm not so worried about that part of it. Um, but you know, I am never going into a business. I'm never gathering in a public area without a mask on. And, uh, um, you know, I am trying to take this as seriously as possible and, I juxtapose that with my excitement about the baseball season coming back, and I feel like a huge hypocrite for it. Um, you know, it, it's it's a very complicated situation in, in my head, and I I recognize that the players are the ones who are making this decision, and that they theoretically have the right not to play if they don't feel comfortable. But that's kind of where I want to start our conversation about the the morality of this. Do you think that ball players actually feel like they could not play and it wouldn't have a terrible consequence for them professionally? No. <laughs> no. I agree. I, I think that if any player decided, you know what, this isn't for me, I'm not going to play this season, I think, first of all, a large percentage of the fan base would ostracize them because of it. Yeah. I th- I think that ownership would likely react very poorly. I think to a certain degree the union who's supposed to represent their interests may react poorly. Um you know well, yeah, I it, I don't know. It almost feels I don't know if it would end up being this way. <clears throat> but it almost feels like a, a guy who said, okay, you know what? I'm out. I, I'm i not comfortable with this. I'll be back next year. You know, hopefully things will be better. But this season isn't, isn't one that I'm willing to play. Um, I, I think of Rick Reed. You know, he mm-hmm. uh, crossed the picket line back in the nineties and there was always that stigma attached to him that, you know, he had, he had been willing to do something that was against the players union and in pretty much every issue I side with the players union, but you do have some sense that like, okay, this group, which is all of the major league players is deciding to go ahead with this thing. And, you know, there's sort of a, a peer pressure within that, whether or not they feel it from teammates or other players in the league. Um, but I, I would just assume that most players kind of feel like they have to. Agreed. And I, I will be shocked if any player officially opts out of playing this year. I agree with that. I mean, unless there's somebody who, who, you know, and, and there are health issues, even though we're talking about people who are fit, you can be very fit and athletic and also have a health issue. Um, I guess Kenley Jansen comes to mind, you know, Brandon Nimmo and um, uh, Matt Adams both had, you know, a little heart irregularity yep. show mm-hmm. up early in, in spring training back in, you know, 
the normal pre-pandemic. By the way, version. buy yourself a Coke if you remember Matt Adams is on the Mets. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, th- those guys uh, had that come up. I'd be surprised if they were among the players who said, okay, there's, there's a health issue. I'm not sure I'm going to opt out. But Kenley Jansen has had surgeries. Um, he's missed significant time because of a regular heartbeat. And, you know, we, we know we know so little still about this virus overall, but we know that people in their 20s and 30s have had, you know, massive strokes or other heart-related issues um, while they've been infected with it. So somebody like that, and, and, you know, there's in a normal season, what, 750 major league players um, active at any given time. So there are probably other examples out there that I just, you know, they don't come to mind sure. instantly. But some someone like that would be the type of player that I would think if anybody opts out, it would be Kenley Jansen or someone who's had similar health issues um, despite being, a, a you know, an elite professional athlete. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The unfortunate reality is... I. I I mean, this part is not unfortunate. I, I think if, if Kenley Jansen was the one to opt out, there's enough evidence there for likely the union and ownership to not make him into a total pariah because of it. But every player should have the right that Kenley Jansen has to say they don't feel comfortable with this. And I don't think that's present. I don't think the average player has feels that they can say to ownership, you know what, this isn't worth me risking my life for it. And they really should be able to say that. Um, and like I said, that, that, that makes me incredibly cautious to celebrate the return of baseball. Um, I also recognize that there are many people 
who I interact with on a daily or weekly basis who think that, or who I haven't spoken to them about it, I would likely think that would would say that you and I are being alarmist about this. Right. And they might be correct. You know, there might be enough testing protocols at this point and enough, you know, um, sort of public awareness of all of this that Major League Baseball can run a season in a relatively safe manner. I just have seen no evidence of that. And I think when you look at how Major League Baseball on the ownership side has handled this, it has not inspired confidence of any kind for me. And so I I have a hard time on a good day believing that Major League Baseball gives a shit about its players at all, let alone in a situation like this where where the players are, are literally going to be putting their lives at risk from my entertainment. Yeah. And that is what, one of my thoughts that I've had over the last few weeks as, as this stuff has played out is that, um, you know, in, in our amazing Avenue corner of the baseball universe, I think the vast majority of people are pro player and, not inclined to trust ownership or the league. Um, but we know that fans in general tend to uh, consider the players to be greedy or, or selfish. You know, those are things that come up somewhat often, and especially during a thing like this. So uh, I don't know. There's a selfishness to demanding that these guys go out and play Uh while accepting, you know, vastly reduced salaries because it's for your entertainment, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. So I, I, I don't know who the most selfish person is phone, Amelia. in that equation. Uh, for me, it's it's the person who says, go play, shut up, you know, oh, you're playing a game, you're lucky. And, right. you know, you have things coming out from the league uh, the league side or ownership side about how much money they lose and all this nonsense we know that baseball teams um have exploded in in their value over the the last 20 years and have raked in money from you know tv deals and all sorts of other things and you know, now it's like, oh, we're going to cry poor. <laughs> um, I guess I, I could allow in my mind that individual teams may lose money to some extent by not having any fans in their ballparks. But at the same time, you know, opening and operating the actual seats in the ballpark isn't isn't free. There's a whole lot of staff that goes into that. You know, when you look at ticket prices and and attendance and then the actual money that goes into running the ballpark, uh, I'm not instantly convinced that having no staff and no fans to operate the normal behavior of let's go to a game um, is a massive loss for the team. So much of it comes down to TV and, and everything else. 
Yeah, and, and and let's let's not forget here that it's not like most. And look, I, I think that because we're Mets fans, we have this in we have this sort of distorted view of what ownership is like, including the Wilpons. None of these people were operating their teams in a way where if the team failed, they were they were going to lose their homes. Right, like you and I both work with lots of people. I would I would argue that nobody we work with, not a single person, could take a loss of fifty percent of their income and not feel it. Yeah. Most people just, you know, just that that that's an impossible reality for most people. The every owner of major league base major league baseball team is so filthy rich they could never take in another dollar again and personally be fine. Right. And yeah, so no, and, and and so to call a player greedy, a player who if everything breaks in their way, if every single opportunity works out for this player, the player will play between 10 and 15 years and then have to build a life after baseball. No player playing today will ever have as much money from playing baseball as any owner has right now. Yeah. And it's in, I I would assume every case, uh, the baseball team is not the only thing that owner has going for them. Yep. You know, there's, it's just such a massive difference between those things. So, you know, I, Fans who who get caught up in like oh it's a bad look to you know demand that you be paid uh, what was agreed to because of the times like it's just it's it's misdirection um, and it, yeah it's just not the important issue and especially when the players are the ones who will be out there. You know, you could tell me, and and I don't think we'll actually see it anyway. But you, you could tell me that everybody else who's present is socially distanced, uh, wearing a mask. You know, the players who aren't actively on the field. But I don't think that'll even be the case. But even let's assume uh, that it is. The players are the ones who, even in baseball, have to get close to each other. Yep. At least, at least sometimes, you know. Uh, I mean, there is no avoiding holding a runner on, uh, you, you know, when he's on the bases. Uh, outfielders, I guess, by definition, have, <laughs> you know, have distance most of the time. Uh, and when they come together, that that's close. I mean, sorry, when they come together, it's brief. Uh, but on the infield, it's really hard to maintain any of that and no matter how different everything feels right now when those players are in the moment of a game they have trained their entire lives to behave a certain way you know there's not going to be like oh i'm not going to score this run because you know there's a throw coming home and i don't want to you know get too close to the catcher you know that that switch 
isn't there. They've they've done something their entire lives, even if they're, you know, whether they're 20 years old or 35 or 40, you, you know, that you play the sport a certain way. So even if everything is precaution to the max, um, those are the people who are going to be in close contact with each other and, you know, short of isolating the entire league for like a month before you start spring training, I, I don't know how you could get to a point where you would say that nothing's going to happen uh, with the virus in these circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I I just don't see a way... I mean, this is also we're also presuming that that games are going to be played, which I think is still a fifty fifty shot at best. Oh yeah, oh totally. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, a lot can happen in the in the month and in the month we're talking about right now. A lot can happen there, and just think about. I mean, can can you imagine? I'm trying to think of a way to frame this that isn't so sensationalized, but we all read about stuff in our history books, you know, that that sickened us because people were not taking the lives of others seriously. Can you imagine reading in 20 years, you know, in 2020, four baseball players died because people rushed baseball back during a pandemic? Wouldn't you feel terrible as a as a person who stood by and let that happen? Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, um, it's not comfortable either way. Like the best, I think the best public health argument for sports happening, and it would be a lot easier to make if the entire country had been on a path that, um, looked more like New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and and generally the Northeast. Yes. Um, and the West Coast had some success early, and now seems to be somewhat struggling with it. But if the entire country were on the same curve as New York has been, just because that's, I live in New York, that's the update I've watched every day until the last few days. That's the update I've watched every day for three months. Um, you could you could be more comfortable with it and saying, "Look, there's baseball on TV. Nobody can go to the games, but we're keeping the players and staff safe, and it gives you a reason to sit at home and watch that game. You know, there's something to do if you stay home. Like that public health argument can work for me. Sure. Uh, in a, in a context of things have gotten a lot better but we still want you to stay home and we're going to do it safely it's just not believable <laughs> and, and like not even here here if you told me the entire league uh consisted of the mets and yankees and maybe like the phillies which what a what a league that would be um <laughs> 
and you know, and all all three teams, maybe maybe the Red Sox. Uh, you know, I think Massachusetts is in a in a much better place than they were. Yep. A month or two ago. And you know, if you, if you took maybe that Toronto said, because Canada's smarter than we are. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. That, <laughs> but um, if you said it was just that, then I could buy in that there will be games and. You know, and there's there could be a benefit to having the games that outweighs the risk. I could potentially buy into that, but I I just what do you do? You know, early on, and I know we've done our podcast infrequently during this, but I think the first time we talked about the potential for baseball in the pandemic the hypothetical idea of like an Arizona bubble came up because Mm -hmm. that was one of the ideas that was thrown out there early at the time. It sounded good. And now Arizona is one of the worst places to be in the world. Yes. Uh, as a guy who has a less than one year old niece in Arizona and a sister-in-law who is a nurse practitioner, Arizona is a scary fucking place right now. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I, at no point of any of this, as, as people who have lived in this area and felt this pandemic in, in personal ways or in just general, the society around me, you know, immediately around me, everything is different. Everything has changed. You know, I know we have some different perspective on this than we did ourselves three months ago, four months ago. And, you know, people in other parts of the country have at this point, but you you can't, there's no Arizona bubble. There's no Florida bubble. You know, that those aren't things anymore. Unless so you're if, doing what UFC did and buying an Island someplace. There's no, oh, way. yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that happened. It is. Is it, it is. still operating? I don't know if they ever got it up and running yet. I, I don't. I don't. They were constructing a facility there last I heard. Mm, yeah. But, but yeah. What do you do just logistically? Even if you take any, you know, moral concerns out of the equation, and you just and you say, oh, okay. Like uh, last I looked today, twenty nine states were on the increase, um, as the New York Times classified them by you know, data coming in from those states. What do you do if 10 states that have major league teams and teams in them, California being one that has the most go into like full shutdown, uh, you know, procedures again, how do you logistically work through that season? Even if you're willing to, to put everybody who's involved at risk, you know, where do you start relocating games? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that there are ways to be smart about this, but I don't see the teams doing those things. Like, I think if there's not going to be any players in the stands... I don't see any reason why you can't have six teams playing in New York at the same time. Right. You have two ballparks. You could you could divide it up. You could have one game starting at 9 a.m. and have 
you know, a cleaning crew come in and clean the clubhouses in time for the night game. And you can have, you know, four teams, four of six playing every day. And, or use Coney Island as one of the ballparks then. Use Staten Island as one of the ballparks. You could pack New York City with at least eight teams and and do one of the divisions in New York City. You could probably do the same thing in Chicago. You could probably do the same thing in the Los Angeles metro area. You know, there is a way to do this, but people aren't going to do that for a variety of reasons. And even those plans are still incredibly flawed. Unless you are saying to players... You have to not see your families, not go out to dinner, not go to the gym. You basically exist between your residence and the ballpark for the next, you know, three or four months. I don't see a way that you do this. And even that is not a perfect plan. And that's not fair to the human beings who have wives and children and parents and friends that they have the right to see if they want to see. Right, you know, um, I don't know how you do it. I, I, I legitimately have no idea. Yeah, uh, and I, I, you know, I know that <clears throat> leagues in other parts of the world um, have resumed some things and, and not have them turn into nightmare scenarios, but. You know, in terms of soccer, I think the result, like, it's still a little early to say, okay, all of the European soccer that's going on has not caused any harm. Um, it, it, we haven't heard about, and, and admittedly, I don't follow the details of soccer every day, so maybe I'm outdated on this, but, you know, there hasn't been, like, a whole team got COVID and, you know, they're not playing now. Uh, or anything along those lines, but you know, leagues within this country, um, they have different ideas on how to maybe do it. But, but yeah, it just uh, life, <laughs> everyday life is is uh, obviously completely altered. But it's just so complex in a way that normally seems so simple. But it's just there's so many variables that go into it, and I don't I don't know. I like if if you told the players in any league that look we're going to do a three or four month three month regular season, and I mean in baseball's case it's, it's closer to two, but say three months of a regular season, one month of playoffs, and basically like a team rents out an entire hotel near its ballpark you live in that hotel the hotel will bring you food you work at the ballpark those are the only two places you can exist like even that i don't know that that works and and that is not what anybody is considering doing no no and i think that you know for the most part I think most ball players, if you said to their families, listen, for three months we're going to put you up in this hotel, it's not perfect, but you know it's the best we can do, that might work for August, but when school's back in session, if school's back in session, are you going to let your kids miss two months of school for this? Is that worth it? Right. 
I, I just I I just don't know. I, I I just don't know. And I mean I I'm gonna be a hypocrite. I'm gonna watch baseball. I know that about myself. I know that. I fucking hate it about myself. I wish I had the <laughs> backbone to say, you know what? I'm not watching this season. I mean, <laughs> with my position at Amazing Avenue, I probably couldn't do that either. <laughs> um, but you know, it's just I, I, I wish I didn't. I wish I didn't have to watch baseball this season. But I know myself, yeah. and I will. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I did. All, all of this said, if the Mets are playing on TV in a world where they can't celebrate with each other, um, you know, and, and have to be concerned about every aspect of that daily, uh, I, even 60 games in a short period of time is a daily grind. You know, you think of a normal baseball season being, being one over a much longer span of time, but yeah, of course. I'll watch. You, you know, you have this interesting relationship as a fan with players where, you know, the vast majority of the time, fans and players don't actually know each other. But you attach yourself to, you know, the, the personalities uh, on teams that you root for, whether it's because they're just a great player or they're a good player and, and they're also, like, fun to root for you know, you make those connections and Marcus Stroman being himself and pitching uh, in a game for the Mets is something that I wouldn't want to miss and you know Pete Alonso Dom being Smith. himself yeah JD Davis Conforto yeah I mean the, the McNeil, list yeah right the list goes on Jake yeah it, it, it's it's um you have that connection as a fan and you know it's going on and you know you're you're not going to cut yourself off from it i think in the, in the vast majority of cases uh, there there's a significant portion of sports fans who aren't thinking of any of this and it'll just be like damn right you're playing yeah i'm going to watch you know, but even if you have reservations, which clearly we both do, and I, and I think a lot of people do, um, we're gonna watch. Yeah. But if two or three weeks from now, it is abundantly clear that there is no way to do it safely, and both sides say, "Look." This isn't about anything else other than health. We can't do this. I would not be mad at anybody for making that decision. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. And the owners spending all this time saying that they're going to lose so much money on these games that, if anything, canceling the season should be seen as a way for them to save money based on the argument they presented to the public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also think there's this weird situation we're going to find ourselves in where no one's going to know how to talk about this season once the season's over. And this is the most minor of the issues. But I could see, uh, let's say Pete Alonso 
hits 25 home runs in 60 games. That would be an incredible amount of power. <laughs> that that would that would be a, a display that would be absolutely unheard of. And, and I don't believe he's arbitration eligible next year, so this is a bad example. But let's pretend he's arbitration eligible. Don't you think that ownership's going to say, well, Pete, you know, you hit 53 home runs in 2019. You only hit 25 in 2020. So we don't think you deserve... Like, I, I have no doubt that the shortened season will be used against players in bargaining for future contracts or for arbitration hearings. I have no doubt that will happen. And that's fucked up for a yeah. bunch of reasons. But that's going to happen. I guarantee you Marcus Stroman will not get the deal he should get at the end of this offseason because of the shortened 2020 season. Right. And so not only are you asking these players, put yourself at risk for my financial benefit, but I'm also going to fuck you on the back end and not let you get paid what you should have got paid for this. It's it's a really sick system. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and there will presumably be legitimate uncertainty about what next season and the one after that look like um, based on the reality of the world. But that that will be used as leverage. You know, oh, we're just not sure about revenues. So here you go. You know, it, it's a player who's going into free agency this offseason. It seems to me might be better off taking a one-year shitty deal. Yep. You know, I mean, the, the concept of that one-year contract for a guy looking to bounce back. Um, the pillow contract. Yes. that <laughs> In normal times, that's a thing that, that comes up. But this winter, um, taking something like that and then hoping that next season uh, looks a lot more normal and that things, you know, that the world is, is past this um ideally uh, via vaccine that seems to be the only real way to be past it unless all of a sudden the virus just dies out um on its own which doesn't seem likely but nope. <laughs> but i mean those are the only two way either, either just something happens that it just naturally ends or you know we hopefully are able to intervene and say we can stop this thing. Um, but yeah, no, it, I, yeah, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I don't know what else to say other than the, the players deserve to be treated well, considering they are going out there. And if games happen, if, spring training happens which you know that the the resumption of spring training is days away at this point so i i expect that there will be spring training workouts happening in home ballparks in a few days i don't know how long they last yeah yeah Anything else you want to say about this? We're going to have more 
hopefully we get on a more regular schedule now. We're going to have more to say about all this as things unfold. But anything else to say is sort of your, your last word on this before spring training begins? Um, well, I mean, I guess it's just been, it's been such a bizarre stretch and I think it hits on one of the points that you made just a few minutes ago. Um, I remember in March or early April when things were really bad and even as somebody who was taking it seriously at that point in time, um, I guess in the back of my mind, it was like, oh, yeah, you know, reaching out to people who, who we know who work in hospitals and, and, and thank you for doing the work you do. And, you know, all that, that kind of stuff. All, of course, all stuff that you, you still say to those people now. You know, thank you for being on the front lines of this and, and facing this and putting yourself at risk to save others. And I remember a moment of, of uh, a friend who works in a hospital here in the Bronx and saying, like, oh, when this is over, like, first round of drinks, not even first round. Like, <laughs> we're, we're going out for drinks. They're on us. You know, and I remember at that time thinking, for whatever reason, that that would be, like, this fall. You know, even even as things got really serious, it was like, okay, six months from now, we'll go get some beers. They're on us. You know, you, you deserve it. You're doing this awesome work. Uh, and as as the reality sunk in further, you just went like, oh, that might not be this year. <laughs> right. You know, okay, when, when will it be? It, it felt like something that we had to get through and then it would be over. Um, and clearly that's not not the case. So the, the baseball relevant part of that train of thought is that also at that time you had people saying like, oh, would 100 games be legitimate enough to be a season? And my attitude was like, if we get any games, we should be thankful. Yes. So I, I still want to hold on to that, that, okay, if we get this weird 60-game season, and we'll we'll talk next episode about, you know, some of the, the rule changes, that kind of stuff. Um, but if we get 60 games of weird baseball, not meaning baseball after midnight, but like <laughs> right. actually weird baseball, um, and and it goes well and no players get severely sick, and no staff involved in the process gets severely sick, and nobody dies. If all of that happens, I, I I don't want to engage in conversations about whether or not the season was legitimate because the season will have adapted to <clears throat> the reality we were faced with, and to have any baseball without any downside would be a loss. I don't expect that to happen, but that that's my that's my final thought on the. Uh, baseball pandemic i i have one more thing to say and and uh i just want to follow up the thing you said you know i was supposed to get on an airplane on march 11th to go meet my baby niece in arizona and we canceled the trip and my mom when a mom says to you you're being a little bit extreme 
you probably are because moms are very cautious people. But she thought we should have taken the trip. And like as soon as uh, two days later, school shut down and she was like, oh, no, it was smart. You didn't go. But my brother that day was like, well, we already booked our trip for Flo- for Christmas. So we'll be home in Jersey for Christmas. I don't know if that's going to happen now. Like you were saying, you know, we had this like we had this sense of the fall was going to solve everything or at least the summer was going to solve everything. And I don't see that happening. And so you and I were lucky to see spring training baseball. We may not get to see spring training. We, we may not get to see baseball in person again for quite some time. And so I, I first of all, want to just like acknowledge that and how lucky we were that we got a little bit. It was a tease, yes, but we got some live baseball. And that's a wonderful thing, and I'm really thankful. And I'm thankful I got to do it with you too. Like I, I had a lot of fun with you on that trip. It, I'm glad we took the trip, even with all the, even though we probably shouldn't have. I, I'm glad we did take that trip, right? Um, yeah. But I want to say this: no player will hear this more than likely. But if there's a player that hears this, if you don't feel safe, don't play. I'm a guy. I'm looking around my office that I record this in my home office. And I have the 2000 Mets championship photo framed. I have the Mookie Wilson running past Bill Buckner framed. I have Mets bobbleheads and pennants. And I'm wearing, I realize I'm wearing a Mets shirt. I didn't realize that. You know, um, I wanted to name my daughter Shay. Like, I, I, I care about baseball in a very, very real way. Baseball is a huge part of my life. I don't give a shit. If you don't feel safe, don't play. You have have me and millions of other smart people who have your back and will defend you to the hilt if you choose not to play. And so that's my message. If you don't feel safe, don't play. We will be fine without baseball. You may not be fine if you play. If you don't feel safe, don't play. You won't hear this, but if you do, I think it's important that I say that. Well, this got dark. Let's, let's do some. Let's do some. <laughs> let's do some music recs here, Chris. What are, what are you recommending this week? Uh, so, <clears throat> I have recommended the record he put out last year, which I can't believe was still only last year. But M D Mokhtar, M D O U M O C T A R. Um, might be, and, 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 you know, Nels Klein is either number one or like tied for number one with them do with, for me, uh, in terms of best guitarists on the planet right now. Um, but he's, he's up on that level. Got to see him live twice last year at two different festivals. Um, just absolutely blew me, blew me away. And Yeah. He's an incredible guitar player. His his band is incredible. And the studio records are really good. But and and what I liked about my recommendation is that the bassist wrote about uh these releases they've done recently. But he spoke to the same point that I've thought myself that you can listen to the recorded studio stuff and it is really good. There's nothing wrong with it, but it just isn't what you get when you see them live, which is just four people who are 
absolutely as good as it gets on their instruments. Um, so yeah, so MG Mokhtar during this pandemic had a tour scheduled, um, you know, we only saw him for the first time last year. I think he's been touring pretty regularly um, for several years at this point. And, you know, that kind of a band is a band that makes their money on the road. I mean, most most bands that are doing it for the livelihood um, also make their money on the road. But in these times, um, they took a collection of, you know, intimate recordings uh, live recordings from shows. So there have been two MD Mokhtar mixtapes that they put out on Bandcamp, but they put out one each for the Bandcamp Fridays. Um, the next of which... July 3rd. First of all, ben, yes. The, the, this upcoming Friday, as you listen to this episode, July 3rd. Uh, if you're not familiar with Bandcamp Fridays, basically Bandcamp takes a cut in normal circumstances it's not that big of a cut, but it's a cut. They take a cut from everything that is sold there. Um, but when the pandemic fully hit the United States, they started doing the first Friday of every month. Uh, they don't take a cut. So all of the money that goes into it, uh, you know, goes to the artist. So yeah, MG Mokhtar, um, the Bandcamp page, for his band has mixtape volume one, mixtape volume two. I think each one's about 40 minutes long. And one small silver lining of, of all of this has been getting to hear these recordings, um, which, which are of that live experience uh, and, and having them at home. Um, it certainly doesn't replace seeing, seeing them live uh, and whenever that's safe to do again, I couldn't recommend it more. But for right now, they're like eight bucks each or something. It's, uh, yeah, that, that's my recommendation. That's an excellent one. Um, before I give my real recommendation, I have to throw a shameless plug in here for myself uh, and for you in a direct, in an indirect way. Uh, my yes. friend, <laughs> my, my friend Steve and I started a record label. We had we had the plan to start this record label before the pandemic. And uh, we decided to do a release that was a compilation. We were originally going to donate it to a uh, hunger charity, but then the world started to burn and um, the horrible racist undertones of our country started to rise up specifically in the form of police brutality. And so we uh, released a 27-track compilation called Lending Library. Uh, the record label is called Self-Addressed Stamped Envelope. It's SASE, S-A-S-E, records.bandcamp.com. Uh, 27 artists, including Chris's band, Los Hacasos. Thank you again for contributing your song Bugs to that. Uh, all the money goes to Campaign Zero, which looks to eradicate police violence. And I know there's a lot of conversations right now about defunding the police, which I absolutely agree with. But I think that uh, even if there is a police force funded by a dollar and violence is still a part of it, that's unacceptable. So I, I do not think that decreasing police violence and and defunding the police are uh, incompatible thoughts. And so um, the compilation is $10 for 27 tracks. There is everything from uh, punk to hip-hop, from pop to ambient. Um, I'm very proud of, of the, the record. I think it's really good. Uh, I wouldn't have put it out if I didn't think so. Um, but that, that is not my pick because that is that is a self-serving pick. I'm not going to do that. Um, but just letting you know, in case you wanted to support that, 
Stace Records at Bandcamp.com. Um, my pick is uh, similar to Chris's in that uh, it's a band I have talked about before. Um, it's a band that put out a record to support their staff. So um, the Mountain Goats, which are, are a, a legacy Amazing Avenue audio band because former host Jeffrey is a big Mountain Goats fan. They had a tour planned for this year, and they they have a crew that works on their tours. And so lead singer of the Mountain Goats, John Darnielle, did a record in his home on a boombox, which is how the Mountain Goats started. Uh, and all the proceeds have gone to uh, their crew to help them through this pandemic times. And so the album is called Songs for Pierre Chauvin. And it's uh, it was inspired by a couple of books about pagan history that Darnell was was reading. It's super lo-fi. It is I can totally understand that this is maybe a lo-fi bridge too far for people um, in terms of sonic quality. But it I think it's very immediate. And um, even though the songs are about either people who died long ago or fictionalized versions of people, I think that the, the humanity of the songs are still there. And I just think they're good songs, too. Um, but importantly, I'm glad Chris brought up Bandcamp Friday because if you love music the way that Chris and I love music, it's very scary to think about the livelihood of some of these musicians that we are such big fans of. And uh, I am trying every Friday to take a portion of my paycheck when I get paid or uh, and, and donate it to a charity that is dealing with with either the Black Lives Matter movement or the pandemic. And on top of that, I'm also trying to take some of the money I'd be spending on beers out with friends or ordering lunches into my office. You know, I'm trying to take that money and support artists with them. And so um, there are an amazing, there's an amazing assortment of music on Bandcamp. And uh, there was just on, on June 19th, on Juneteenth, there was a, all the proceeds were going to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. And so I had uh, decided I was going to only purchase music by black artists that day. And I had a bunch of stuff in my wish list, but I also sought out a bunch of new stuff. And I got some absolutely amazing music that day. And so I would encourage you to not just pick up things that you think you like on Bandcamp, but because it is an affordable uh, it is an affordable service, many bands put their stuff up there for pay what you want or for five bucks, you know, so you can, you can take 20 bucks and find a bunch of new bands and help them get through this time because it's going to be really hard to have live music come back. If not, um, if not this year, which is most likely maybe not even next year. So we're going to have to be doing this for a while. So get used to supporting artists in a more one-to-one way because i think that is really important and that doesn't just go for music if you are a fan of poetry by poetry if you're a fan of novels by novels support the arts support support creative people because let me tell you i saw this on twitter about two months ago and it stuck with me if you don't think the arts are important imagine how fucking bored you'd be right now without music and books and movies and tv to watch so (laughs) you know support the arts now more than ever um that is that is yeah the the one thought and and diana's been saying this uh during all this you know and i I think a lot of people have been feeling it and saying it as well but like the last time humans did this was about 100 years ago imagine doing that then yeah like i am not uh ending my thoughts on this episode by saying that staying home is easy and normal 
and anything like that. But like, damn, we have, if you had to be in this spot, we have so much at our fingertips. We have air conditioning. We, yeah, yeah, that, that's, <laughs> you know, imagine being cooped up in a hot city in 1918, afraid of germs, not quite knowing how they work. And so keeping your windows shut when it's 95 degrees outside. Yeah. So for those of us who have, you know, the, the, who are in a good place, I just try not to take that for granted. That's all. Yes. Agreed. And try to help people who aren't in a good place. Um, you know, I just saw, and this is tangential to all of this, but somebody I've known my entire life uh, whose dad used to go with my dad to Mets games with us when we were kids. Um, her husband just found out that he has pretty serious cancer. And I just thought, like, how scary is a cancer diagnosis, number one? Number two, how scary is a cancer diagnosis during a pandemic when you're going to have to be going into hospitals all the time? And just how 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 lucky I am that the biggest problems I have right now are like, I can't get good Mexican food delivered right now to my house. Right. You know, I complain about that almost once a week and I'm an asshole, you know? So we're, we're trying, we're all trying here. Be kind to one another if you can, unless they're protesting human rights, in which case, fuck them. And, uh, (laughs) you know, let's, let's get through this together. And, uh, an easy way to do that is by going to amazingavenue.com and just reading some other people's thoughts about baseball. We're going to be cranking out more material now that the season's coming back. We have to talk, Chris and I, about sort of how we're going to do that, but we are going to be doing that, we promise. And um, we encourage you to follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can email us, aaaudiopodcast at gmail.com. And I, I encourage emails. Um, right now because while we do have some stuff to talk about i'm very curious as to what other fans are feeling right now so feel, please email us uh you can follow me on twitter at brian needs a nap you can follow chris on twitter at on twitter at chris mcshane and um please stay safe out there continue to be good people and until next time let's go mets